You can forget a lot of things, Foster Care Nation, but never forget this. You're listening to Unparalleled Studios. I signal. Foster Care Nation. Listen up. This is Foster Care and Unparalleled Training. Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. Hello and welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason and Amanda. And today we have Andrew. I'm going to mess it up. Today we have Angelo Gratticelli. Did I get it Very right? Good. Very perfect. Thank you. Awesome. I, I usually ask ahead of time to make sure I say it right, and I just didn't do that this time. Um, okay. Angel is an author of the book The Bond, and The Bond, at a glance, because I haven't read it yet, is a book all about his time in foster care and what that's led to. So how are you doing today, Mr. Angelo? Very good, and thank you very much for having me on your show today. I'm very excited to talk about Number one, the book, and then other issues that I'm kind of really passionate about. Um, uh, if you want to get right into it, you know, my story, believe it or not, happened 50 years ago. I'm, I'm 62 years old myself. So I was in foster care when I was uh, six years old till I was 18 years old. Um, and it's kind of a circuitous uh, route. My father was a very famous piano player with the Luigi Prima and Guy Lombardo Orchestra bands. He played piano for them. But he was also an alcoholic. And so he and my mother did not get along very well. And so when my mother got breast cancer and was put into the hospital, my father put us into an orphanage in Staten Island called St. Michael's. And we were, it was myself, my older sister, my younger brother. I had a third, a, a, a fourth younger sister who was too young to go into the foster care system. You know, they don't let you get in there until you're about two or three years old. And she was 18 months. So she was put into a foster home where we went to the orphanage. Um, spent two and a half years there and it was a very, very rough place. But you, you kind of, I, I learned my metal, so to speak, there as a young kid. I was, again, I would go in when I was six to I was nine. And you really had to kind of fend for yourself and kind of, you know, take care of yourself and, you know, have your own boundaries and have your own, what you're willing to take, what you're willing to not take. Even at eight years old, believe it or not, that happens. You know, I talk about in the beginning, there's a scene where, you know, the um, orphanage was run by counselors. It was a Catholic organization, but they were run by counselors who were really teenagers or in their 20s, I would say. So these kids were not nice kids. And they used to, you know, treat us badly. They would take things from us. And the big thing was whenever you got, got something, sometimes I'd get a present from my father. He'd send it in the mail. He never came to visit ever, but he'd sometimes send things in the mail. And, I, and, and that particular week, I had to, to receive my Holy Communion. And, I, and when you do that in a Catholic religion, in the Catholic um, church, you get what's called a uh, communion ring, which is a little ring. And because my birthday was garnet, I got it with a garnet stone in it. So it was a very small ring, worth $50 probably something. But these counselors wanted to take it from me. So the book talks about it opens up with a scene where they're holding me down and basically beating me with a belt to give me to ask to tell me to get them that ring. And they had a thing where they would never take the ring from you because that was stealing, right? But if you gave it to them, that means you gifted it to them. But no one ever talked about how you gifted, how they convinced you to gift it to them. So I made it my, my, my thing that no matter what happened, because other things have been stolen from me, I was never going to give up that ring. You know? And it's, it's a little thing, but that in foster care, foster kids have, have to hold on to things, right? Mm. It could be something big, like a person or an idea, or it could be something small, like a little ring. But it's something that you have to keep your identity. You have to keep your integrity, right? So I said, I'm never giving up that ring. And here I am, and I'm 62 years old. Look what I have in my hand. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Because I was never giving this ring up. And it's still to this day, I look at it, and I think about those days in the orphanage and what it took to get through that. Um, so I talk about that in the book. But I also talk about then, after I went to the orphanage, um, a family called the Nelsons, um, brought me into their home. They brought me, my brother, and my sister. It turns out they were all foster home that specialized in families that had multiple kids. So I wound up growing up in a family with 10 kids in the house. There were eight 
foster kids and two natural siblings, two sons. Um, so there was a lot of kind of things going on in that household. It was also interesting too, was two kids were the same age, two others were the same age and two others. So we were like close in age. It's like when I was in high school, for instance, I had well, four of us together in the same high school in the, in the same classes, although we were not brothers and sisters. So it was very interesting that way. Um, but what happened in the foster home was it became a kind of, and that's why I call it the bond because there were a lot of stuff was happening between us and the sons, the two natural sons, the two natural sons hated us. They hated our guts. And why is that? Um, a number of reasons, but the one that I talk about in the book a lot is it's very tough. And, and foster, uh, potential foster uh, parents should think about this if they have their own children. It's tough when you bring in a stranger's kid to your house. Because what happens to that child is, wait a minute, what about me? You know, and then then it becomes two, and then it comes three, and it comes four, and it comes five, it comes six, it comes seven, and it comes eight. By the eighth one, you're way out in left field. And so the two brothers really felt a, a real animosity toward us. So us kids really basically bonded together because of that and became really, really close. Again, we, we showed up at the house not even know who each other were, and we came really, really close. And we left that house becoming a family or reformed the family of our own because none of us had a family. We all had similar bad stories, backstories, I call them, about being you know, left behind by our parents, neglected by our parents, not having parents in some cases. But there was, there was a lot going on, right? So that's how this, so the, but instead of the book being about, you know, a lot of bad figures about, you know, you know, the statistics out there, like, you know, 20% of girls want to be pregnant in foster care. Um, you know, 20,000 kids age out every year. Um, all these figures, that's not what my book's about. My book's about what it feels to be a foster kid. I talk about the very personal feelings of hurt, of anger, of, ha of happiness when we shared things that we shared holidays. We used to make up plays ourselves and, and for holidays and stuff. And just a lot of fun things that we did ourselves with we had nothing else to do, so we made up all things. So it was kind of fun that way. So it shows that kids are very resilient, right? And they really, even put into the worst circumstances, they will make the best of it. So the tagline to my book is, you know, how a mixed bag of foster kids became a family for life. Because that's what the story is about. How, again, we would, if I showed you a picture, we are so different looking. I have a brother that's a bodybuilder. I have me, I have, I have a, you know, so it's we're very, but we're as close as close could be because we realized that we only had each other at the end of the day. And the Nelsons, the foster family, turns out we're doing it for the money. That's why they had eight kids. And they had a lot of rotating kids as well because they got money from the state. So when I, when, I, when I turned 18, I was asked to leave the house and I couldn't believe it. I said, how is this possible? You know, we grew up as a family from, again, I was there from when I was eight till I was, 18, so 10 years. It turns out that the reason they did that because the state stopped giving them money. And it's called something called aging out of the system. Anyone in the foster care knows what that is. But when you turn 18, the state no longer has any responsibility for it anymore. They'll pay your health care until you're 26, but otherwise you're on your own. There's no money for food. There's no money for rent. There's no money for anything, really. you got to figure it out. And for me, being a naive kid this in the 70s, in the late 70s, I thought I was getting kicked out because they didn't love me. But I, but I got kicked out really because I wasn't being paid for anymore. So it was a very tough thing to realize. And so I've made it my kind of mission. I wrote the book at end of four years ago, by the way. So since then, it started out as being a kind of a, a memoir for the family, just to tell the story that we had, this amazing story. But it turned into really a book about what it's like to age out of the system. And then what do you do? You know, where do you find yourself? How do you get your bearings? You know, I tell a story about the first time I went to a supermarket after I left the foster care home, I went to get dinner. I had no idea what to pick. There was aisles and aisles of food. And I was hungry as hell. And I didn't know what to pick because I'd never been had to choose it before. And that's the kind of decisions that, you know, aged out kids have to deal with. And it sounds simple and it sounds like, well, you just pick something. But I walked out with a box of elbows and a brooks loaf of bread. So two starches. <laughs> Don't ask me why I did that. But that's what I that's what I want to walk down with. So there's a real need amongst the foster kid community, these 20,000 kids every year that are being left on their own to help. 
And so I'm really trying to make it my mission to, first of all, bring spotlight to the issue of aging out. And then secondly, to help these kids. You know, I'm, I'm working with kids online. We're doing discussion groups just to give kids resources. You know, I'm not a counselor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm going to be a technology journalist. So I know how to write. <laughs> but I don't, I don't tell people what to do. I'm not judgmental. But I'll certainly help you figure out your own thing. You know, we'll try together figure out where you can go. So that's kind of my story, so to speak. Yeah. Um, good guy. I like you to talk about it for a little bit. And that, that, that's a lot. That's kind of a hell of a I story. I, I apologize for talking so long, but there's so much to tell. No, no apologies needed. Um, that's what we're here for, you know, is to create a platform for people to tell their stories because right. we tell, we want people to tell the stories so that other people can hear and listen and learn, you know, because our system is broken. It's, it's mm -hmm. never going to be a perfect system, but right. our system is broken and children are aging out every day. And yep. they don't have family. They don't know where to go. They don't know how to take care of themselves. You know, some don't have basic life skills, you know, and that needs Correct. to change. And so right. by you sharing your story and, and telling it, you know, hopefully that will help create some of that change. Um, but can you kind of walk us through maybe what like an average day in the orphanage kind of looked like? I mean, did you have people that were parents were you on your own okay citizens of foster care nation we want to hear from you we want to hear any stories that you'd like to share with us anything that might be funny inspiring touching heartfelt all of those things that's what people love to hear so why don't you send us some of your stories you can reach us at our voicemail line at 413 foster 3 again that's 413 foster now, we're going to assume that if there's any privacy rules that you need to follow, you've already followed them and changed any names that need to be changed because we will play some of this on the air. We look forward to hearing from you. Now, this voicemail has a limit of about, I think, 10 or 15 minutes. So anything longer than that, just contact me at jason at fostercarenation.com and we can sit down and talk about your whole story. In the orphanage, you 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 were um, segregated into age groups. So I was in the age group from six to twelve, and in that group, you, everything was done very communally. You ate together, you showered together, and big showers, obviously, but you, you did everything together because it, it, I guess to control chaos, you have to keep everything kind of manageable. So everyone moves together. You, you ate in shifts. You did that kind of stuff. But there was a lot of you know in, in the orphanage. We used to have things like they have Friday night fights. Where if you had a, 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 a problem with someone during the week, you could have a boxing match with them on Friday. And so, but the problem with that that system was there was no kind of um, policing of if your, your your beef was legitimate or not. So we had a kid named Michael Washington. It was this big kid, bigger than all. He was, he was 12 years old, but bigger than all of us. And he would just make up reasons why he wanted you to come in a bunch of things. And so he would do that. And, and one, year, one week it was my turn. And I got called in and I got beat up. But I kept getting back up because I had a friend, good friend of mine who was a, a black kid from Harlem who was still one of my best friends, believe it or not. But he was a tough kid. And his, 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 every time I fell down, he would say, get up. And I'd say, no, I'm not going to get up. He's going to punch him again. And he'd say, get up. And he'd make me get up because it was true that Michael Washington respected if you got up. And he would stop punching you. He, he was all about punching you and seeing you fall down and laughing at you. But if you got up again, that was something that caught his attention. And so that was a life lesson for me and one that I brought with me forever. When something happens and something bad happens, you get up again. And that's what I try to tell foster kids because we get a bad, a bad deal. You know, we've been dealt a pair of twos in the, in the poker game of life. So we've got to play the game with, with short-handed, but it doesn't mean we can't do it. It doesn't mean we can't stick to our guns. It doesn't mean we can't get up off the mat. And believe me, it helped me throughout life to turn that, you know, you, you, you you have a light within you. We all have a light within us. We have to let it shine. And sometimes bad things happen that darken that light. So we have to find that light again. And that's what I try to teach kids in foster care is it's not your fault, number one. No one asked for this. It's embarrassing as hell, number two. But number three, you're a person too, just like everybody else. And you can go out there and you can do the things you want to do. 
and you can help the people you want to help. It's funny that a lot of foster kids go into, you know, jobs that are agencies that help foster kids. And why is that? Because they know what it feels like. You know, you mentioned the foster care system is broken. It is. There are a lot of great stories, though. There's a lot of success stories. So I don't want to, like, say that every foster care situation is bad. I know everyone knows there are a lot of great situations. But again, for, the, for those of us that didn't get the, the good carrot, you know, or never caught the carrot, period, you know, you have to find it with yourself. So that was the life lesson I learned in the home. You know, another thing I learned in the home was that there's a lot of stigma out there about people just because of who you are. We, we go to like, they would take us to like a movie theater, let's say. And all the kids would look at us strange, like we were dirty or we were like, we were like, we were poor or whatever, because we were quote unquote foster kids. So there was a stigma in the It's less now, thank God. But in the 70s and 80s, it was, it was bad to be a foster kid. People labeled you without even knowing who you were. So that was something you had to deal with, you know. Um, uh, and then the other thing about the orphanage was that, you know, it was not supervised. You know, that's what it eventually closed because things got so bad that they had to close it. But it, it, it was so you had to learn to fend for yourself, you know, and we all did. We all did. And then lo and behold, I go to the Nelson's house and I go into another situation where on the face of it, I, I was I grew up in, by the way, in Queens, in uh, Astoria, Queens, you know, uh, poor neighborhood, Long Island City, um, concrete everywhere. Uh, you know, garbage, whatever. Then I get a, a, a taken in by the Nelsons in Long Island, New York. And it's the greenest place I've ever seen in my life. It's beautiful. I mean, it's heaven on earth. And I'm sitting there going, I can't believe my, I'm so lucky. I can't believe it. But it turns out the Nelsons was not the thing it was meant to be either. It was also a tough situation that wasn't on its face value correct and true. And I wound up losing that situation too, or wanting to get out of the situation as well, because it was stifling. And then again, you learned how to find it within yourself to go forward. And that's what we did. And that's how it you know. That's what I was really kind of wondering, that, that transition from the orphanage over to the foster care home. That, like, what was that for you? Did it really make a big difference You know, once you got there? Was it that different for you? Or was that a difficult transition to go from the, the larger um, – orphanage setting to to a smaller home although 10 kids is not small yeah but at first it was wonderful it was a beautiful thing i, I when i heard the news it, i have telling the story thing i gave away everything i had to all my friends because i didn't need them anymore i was going to a better place i didn't i wanted the, I had nothing to do with, with the orphanage anymore so i shed myself I, I i tell the book i left with one pair of shoes two pairs of pants and two shirts and two underwear that's what i had leaving the home to go to the nelson's house um, but again, I was excited, more than excited. So the transition was a good one at, at first. You know, I was meeting new people, kids just like me, um, and they were friendly and nice. And there were no counselors beating me up. Um, and so it was a nice place to be in the beginning, you know. But then as we got older, things started to change because we, we started to have opinions. You know, again, what, what, they, what they did like in the, or, in the orphanage, they treated us all as a group. Right. We ate together. We watched TV together. We did everything together. So if I once said, I don't want to watch TV, that, that was not allowed. You had to watch TV when everyone's watching TV and you didn't watch TV when no one was watching TV. You know, you never went to the refrigerator. You weren't allowed. When everyone else was in the refrigerator, then you were allowed. So you, you learn these kind of rules, which all of a sudden you kind of feel like, oh, my God, this, sounds like, this feels like the orphanage. It was very claustrophobic again, you know. And then I got to be in my teens started having friends from the outside world. And that's when things really became problematic because friends would say to me, I can't believe your parents make you clean the, to the, the bathroom with a toothbrush. And then you have to do that every other day. You know, I can't believe that your parents make you eat um, the same thing every, every three, we had three things a week, the same things. Every other day we had the same meal, you know, all these things. And they were like chirping in my ear, right? Before this, this was all normal to me. So I didn't have a problem with any of this. But once people start telling you there's a different way, you start looking over the fence and going, hmm, that grass is pretty green over there, right? And so that's what happens with me. You know, that's what happened to me. I started to get an opinion. And to the Nelsons, that was dangerous. You know, then I started talking about that. I had a whole chapter about what I call the outsiders. And that's our girlfriends, friends, and everyone else from outside the home who couldn't understand the way we lived in the house, the way things were done, the way that we were treated. 
know, they didn't, we weren't allowed to have friends when we were younger. My, my, my first friend I had was when I was, uh, I think, 17. When I, was, when I did that because I was in school. And I stayed after school without telling anyone. I got in trouble for it, but I did it because I was hanging out with friends. So the outside world was not looked at as a good thing to them. And we were taught. And she, and I forget that she, the Russian Soviet premier, his name is Khrushchev, Nikolai Khrushchev, used to say, he used to say about the Americans, we will destroy you from within. And that's what she used to repeat to us. You got to remember, guys, there are people out there that are trying to destroy us. When we can only be destroyed from within, she would say. She would repeat that over and over again. So we had that in our head that, that outside people were bad. You know, they, if they said anything bad about the family, that was, you know, they were going against us. Until we started getting older again. You know, then I'm 17, then I'm 18 years old. And my father dies, my real father, my father's life dies. And I'm told about it, because I, I wasn't living with him, obviously, so I was told about it. And he, you know, basically left a note saying how he was sorry for everything that happened, and he wished it didn't happen, whatever. But it was very sad for me. And I actually wrote a song about it called Life Without Father, and how I missed him. And what's no word about that is, this is a guy who was a bum. He gave me up, threw me into an orphanage, didn't love me, did everything in the world against me. And here I am when he dies, lamenting his death and saying how lonely I am. Life without father is no fun. I once had a father, but now he's gone. I feel so alone. That's the words of the song. Now, why would someone feel that way about someone that was so bad to them? Because it was my biological father. And to a foster kid, that's very important. Another kind of thing to message to foster parents is, don't deny your kids the, 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 the ability to find out who the parents are. You know, I know it's scary. It's totally scary. But they have to know that. You know, then they let them choose whether someone who raised me and was really nice to me was, is better for my life than someone who was toxic and never took care of me. You know, when you get to be 18, 19, you can make that choice. You know, and parents, foster parents shouldn't be afraid of that. You know, there's an old expression of you love something, set it free, it'll come back, whatever. That's true with foster care. You know, you can't deny the fact that even if my father was a bum, I still loved him in some cases. Is, is that weird? Yeah, it's pretty weird. It's pretty messed up. But it's the truth. And so I try to tell kids, foster kids, if you want to know who your parents are, find them. Because that's a, that's a piece that, that helps you. Even if they're, again, even if they're a bum, it still helps you. It helps you know who you are. It helps you know who they are. And again, you also get a better understanding well, if you talk to them about why they gave you up. Now, maybe there was a good reason and they didn't but was best for you, you know? So those are all the things you have to think about. Yeah, I do and, have a question for you about that. Absolutely. You, know, you mentioned your, your, your biological father a couple times here. And, you know, I'm, I'm in a dad's group that um, I talk about way too often. I, I should get paid for all the time to mention this <laughs> to the guy who runs this group. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I'm in the leadership of that group. And one of the things, though, that I see so many men, men who were not necessarily even ever any kind of foster care or adoption or oftentimes had really good upbringings, but the father wound is deep in, in more men in society than I ever would have imagined. Um, how were you able to heal that father wound, or were you? I wasn't able to feel that father wound. It's still with me today, to this day. Um, I wish I could talk to him to this day, to ask him questions. You know, why did you put us in the orphanage? Who does that? You know, why did you divorce my mother when she had breast cancer? Who does that? You know, you were drunk. I tell a story about, you know, um, to show you what, let me just, I have to read one passage. I won't bore you with any more of it. Um, talking about my life then, living with them. Life at, life at home was also chaotic. My friends and I would watch as my father came home, staggering in broad daylight from a night out. Even from two blocks away, we could see him wobbling down the street in a meandering line of drunkenness. Once he walked directly into a stop sign and fell to the ground. I had seen him inebriated before, and this time I thought he was going to safely navigate that sign. But at the last moment, he swayed to the left, tried to right himself, and crashed face first into that sign. I was a young kid, and, I took, and it took a lot of effort for me to pick him up, drag him home, and put him up the stairs. But the worst thing that I felt about it was that I was hoping I'd hope nobody had seen me. But later, when I was teased about it, I knew that they had. So what it means is that you're embarrassed. You're embarrassed by your father, you know. Um, but he's your father, you know. So that's, I'm fine off and answering your question, but. 
No, no, you you right there on it because most of us, most of us who who look back on our childhood and look back on our who our parents were, most of the men I've met will say one of two things. One of them is either, if I'm half the man my father was, I'll be happy, and the other one is, I don't want to be anything at all like that man. Right. So one thing I'll say about that to follow, you know, I how do I learn to be a father? Then I learned to be a father by not doing my father. That's how I learned to be a father. I have three children, by the way. We wonderful children and everything is wonderful, but it wasn't easy. And I had to learn by doing, not by someone telling me how to do it. And also, you know, this, this had, people have bracelets. You know, what would Jesus say? What would Jesus do? My, my bracelet said, what would my father do? And I would do the opposite of that. <laughs> yeah, that actually, um, in that dad's group, I was on on that group this morning leading a couple calls. And that was part of the conversation is, is figuring out. What what do you want to be? Who who the man you want to be is, and what that looks like, you know, compared to what you grew up with, and figuring out who that is, you know, sometimes that's a great starting point. The I I don't want to be what I saw growing up, but figuring out right. what the who the man you want to be is. How did you figure out who that man was that you have turned your life around? Because my my family was was a little bit similar. My father was actually was a good dad, um, but his dad died when he was very young. He grew up uh, from I think about age six. Is six or seven, I think he was when his dad died from uh, from uh, some sort of cancer, and uh, and he grew up with a, a handful of men in his life who were not good men. Uh, he told one story that uh, of when he uh, he said something wrong at the dinner table, did something I don't remember what the story was exactly, but he ended up with a fork in his head. Um, not great yeah. men is who who he had as examples, and he turned that around. He raised four kids, and um, as it turns out, none of us are criminals. We're all actually contributing to the world and doing good things. So, what was it about you? What What did you decide you wanted to be? And what was kind of your impetus for finally deciding who Angela was going to be? You, you make, basically you make it a point that you know. I, I used to tell people that I was uh, my situation. I, I feel lucky. I didn't have a mother, and I had a father. I feel lucky. People say, "What are you talking about?" It's because, you know, a lot of people say, my parents want me to be a doctor, my parents want me to be a lawyer, they want me to be this, and I don't want to be that. There's all this stress about that. Well, I grew up with none of that stress. I could have been a garbage man. I could have been president of the United States if I tried hard enough. Um, I became a journalist, a writer, because I, I, from a young age, I used to write diaries and write stories. So that was my outlet. I, 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 you know, I wrote a lot. But it's, to answer your question, you can decide who the, who the man you want to be. You know, you know what's right or wrong. You know if you do this, it's really not a good thing to do. If you know the, so do the right thing. And all of a sudden, things will start to fall in place one by one by one. It's not a quick process. And it's not an easy process. But you can learn. I can make myself, you know, I wanted to be a well-read person. So I decided to read books. No one told me to do that. I did that. You know, I wanted to, you know, follow the New York Jets. No one told me to do that. I did that on my own. You know, so you can make your, the, the thing, really, reason I say I feel lucky because I was allowed to make myself. No one formed me. I can't blame my father for being a journalist, you know, and saying I should have been a doctor. You know, but I did what I wanted to do, and there's, there's a danger and a strength in that at the same time, right? There's this, this, the strength is that you literally can be anything you want to be. The danger is you might wind up in drugs. So you got to be careful and you got to be strong. And that's why I said earlier about the light inside. We all have this light inside. Don't forget that light. You have to learn how to, to focus that light in the right places, you know? And so that's what I did. I decided my life was not going to be what my father did. I was not going to drink and not be with my kids. I was going to have a family. I was going to raise them. And I was going to be with them and, and everything else. And by the way, I taught them how to play piano too. <laughs> <laughs> well, thankfully, my dad never tried to teach me anything about music because um, as good as of a dad as he was in a lot of ways, music was not his strong point. I know I sat beside him in church as a kid, and um, yeah, I got his musical skills. <laughs> yeah, <there you> go. <laughs> well, moving forward, you, you've decided you really are are concerned about these kids who are coming out of care, who are aging right. out of the system without a strong background. You know, there's there's a I can't remember what it is. There's a YouTube channel out there um, mm-hmm. that a guy has put out, and basically he is he teaches life skills to kids who want to see it on YouTube, you know, things that, that maybe your dad would have taught you that you did not have that opportunity for, you know, if your toilet is messed up, how do you fix that leaky toilet? Um, stuff like that. And, yeah. and I, stuff like, I think that's amazing because there's a million people out there who have a dad who maybe, you know, don't ask 
Don't ask me to help you with any kind of construction stuff. I have my dad's construction skills, and they are just about like our singing skills. <laughs> we we built a room in the basement once, and if you took a, a framing square to that basement, you could not find a 90-degree angle anywhere on any wall, ceiling, corner, anywhere at all. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that was where we, we struggled with, with that. But, you know... Uh, you know, all these kids have these needs, these things that but, need. But you're right. But, but I, what I tell kids is there are resources. Just we said YouTube, the internet is a wonderful thing. You know, you can find a lot of information there uh, for kids. You also, you, friends are another resource that's very important to lean on. You know, friends that aren't forced to kids. I mean, you know, and, and then you, people have them. You know, they, they, um, they're out there. Any kind of resources that, you know, that you know, fill the need that you need. Okay. For instance, if you need an apartment, you know, you got to figure out how to get an apartment. Well, there are, there are agencies where you can find, you know, um, affordable housing and that kind of thing. So there are ways to do it. You just have to be resourceful and go out there and find it, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. But there's a lot of these kids out here who are coming out of the system who, who don't know how to, to go home and, and to a new home and take care of themselves and, and have a lead a, a fairly quote-unquote normal life you know my for example my mom always said my no boy of mine is going to go get married to a woman and not know how to do his own laundry and cook some food for himself so i can make you a mean pot of pasta i know how to make the sauce um and and no we don't buy the jar of ragu or or prego or or anything it's the real deal right like if if you're gonna eat pasta at my house look out because it's coming we're gonna have some good stuff (laughs) but you know we already ate (laughs) <laughs> hey, you got it. You got it. But you know, that that those are some of those those things that, that we just don't necessarily everybody doesn't get a chance to learn that. And so I that I see where that where that could be a real a real drive for you, especially coming out of a home that didn't hand you all those skill sets. So what's what's that look like for you? How are you helping kids learn those skills? Hey there, Foster Care Nation. If you'd like to find yourself in a group with like-minded people, head over to Facebook and you can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash fostercareuj. We've got a group over there where we talk about foster care, we talk about adoption, and we talk about all the things related. If your podcast player allows it, you can also reach down and hit that subscribe button so you get notified every week when we put up uploads. Every Tuesday, a new episode comes out. We'd love to see you next week. Now back to the show. Well, we, 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 date, we take it in stages, right? And the first stage is to look at you personally as yourself. And we, we, we've seen a lot of kids coming out of foster care is that they're angry. They're angry and they're pissed off. So that gets in the way of figuring out what to buy at the supermarket or how to get an apartment. Because all, all, you, all you feel is, I hate everybody. I hate the world. I hate him. I hate her. You know, so you got to look at yourself and say, stop doing that. Look in the mirror. So that's what I tell kids. You know, what are you looking at? Are you looking at a person who's content? And ready to go, or you look at a person that has no idea what to do, they're all flustered, or they're a person that says, I don't want to do anything, I don't give a shit. You know, they're all three, they're basically three kinds of, of kids that come out of the force care system. And for, for different reasons, some of them are broken, some of them are um, shy, some of them are whatever. So, you, again, look at yourself first. That's what you do. And then you figure out, okay, what, what does this person I'm looking at eat? You know, I need a place to live. I need food. So you figure out those basic things. I need a job. Obviously, you got to get a job. Those things. Um, but when you go, when you get a job again, because like me, you don't have parents to saying you must be a doctor. This is your chance to go. What do I want to be? You know, do I want to be a writer? Do I want to be a cook? Do I, you know all these things are available to you that no one's going to say no to you? The only one that's saying no is you personally. You are saying no. I, I can't be a chef. There's no way. I don't like to cook. Maybe you can be a chef. You just never, never tried to be a cook. You know what I mean? So it's, I encourage them. The second thing then is to try things. You know, once you try making your own dinner, instead of going to McDonald's every night, I want trying to make something. I don't know how to make anything. Sure you do. Go on YouTube, look up a lesson, you know, make a pot of pasta. It's very easy to make. Nothing personal, sorry. Um, but <laughs> you know what I mean? But there are things you can do that. And then you do it. It becomes a booster for you. Well, I can actually do this. Then you go on to the next thing. So you build on yourself. You build, keep building yourself up. And you also do that with friends. You can grow your, your, your sphere of friends. I have one friend. Next thing I'm going to have two friends. Then those two friends I'll ask them to meet. And they'll, they'll look me up with three other friends. See, so you start building this network and becoming part of the real world. So you go from being very cloistered and 
do what you're told, shut up, don't, don't, don't anything but I tell you to do, to, all right, I'm making the decisions now. And I'm not going to, you know, do drugs. I'm going to do something good. I'm going to do something that makes me happy. That's not bad, you know? So you make those decisions for yourself. You know, you mentioned drugs, and that's one of those things that just blows well, my mind. I've seen mind. it too much. That's why I keep going into it, because I've seen it way too much. Because it's easy. I mean, that's what I'll say about drugs and alcohol. It's easy. Don't take the easy way out. I know you're depressed. I know you're pissed off. Drugs are not going to help you. Drugs are going to make it worse. You know, it's going to make you feel good for about an hour and a half, and that's going to make you feel worse. That's not the answer. You know, it's like I tell people, it's like banging your head against the wall complaining you have a headache. Well, stop banging your head against the wall. You won't have a headache. You know? Oh, absolutely. That that's exactly where I was going is you know, we see so many kids struggling with drug choices right now. It's it's easy. It's easy and it's cheap right now. Yeah, that's that's, that's part of easy. But the easy part is making a decision to do it. Don't take the easy way out. That's a big thing I harp on is don't take the easy way out. Yeah, sports the kids, we have to take the hard way. So don't get out of the lane because we want to go get it easy. Stay in the hard lane because you're gonna get to where you want to go. Going into the easy lane is going to send you to Utah. Nothing against Utah, sorry. But (laughs) (laughs) you're not going to get to where you want to go. You want to get, you have a place you want to go. So stop doing drugs because that's that's getting in the way of where you want to go. Oh, absolutely. Because finding that, finding that, that hard way means you have to number one, figure out where it is you want to go first. And so many young people don't have that. I mean, these, uh, you know, if if you're under 18, I'm sorry, but you know, for the people for the young crowd out there right now, they all the job they want is to play games on right. YouTube or become a YouTuber and make millions of dollars off of making videos, and, and that seems to look so very easy, and that's why they they all seem to think that that's their career path. Right. And I have bad news. I don't think you're going to be successful. I wouldn't say that to them. I'd say, great, you're going to be a video gamer. That's great, but let's see if you can make some money first. So you can get an apartment, so you can feed yourself, so you can be strong enough to play that video game, right? I, again, I'm, I, I try not to be judgmental and never say no, unless you're saying, I'm, I'm going to do heroin right now. Then I'm going to say, don't do heroin. That's not a good idea. <laughs> but I'm not going to be judgmental if you say, I might like to play video games all my time. I'm not going to say, let's, look at these people making millions of dollars in video games. So, you know, we can never sit here and, and tell another person, you know, that's not good for your life, unless it's something detrimental, you know? Um, I try to, I, again, not, not everybody should be a doctor. Not everybody should be a plumber. You know, there's all in-betweens. There's lots of different fields. With the internet, you can virtually do pretty much anything you want to and get involved in anything you want to, you know, but you have to show initiative. You have to have enthusiasm and initiative. That's the other thing I talk about. It's about you, right? And what are you doing? Don't ask me, you know, what can I get or who's going to give me something? It's what are you doing to get what you want, you know? And and I say this like it's easy, but it's not easy. You know, it's not not easy at all. But I came from a very bad place, and I learned to be hard for the world and learned to be resilient. That's what you have to be, too. That's what the bond is all about. Cheap show. Um, Because, you know, it's about looking around and seeing things are bad and still finding the good in it, finding that silver lining. Everyone has a silver lining. They have a light and a silver lining. Yeah, that that's a hundred percent true. I agree. Everybody does have have that light in them, and sometimes in a lot of situations, it gets to where that light is really hard to see, and not just assume it's the the train coming down the tunnel. And right. yeah, no, it's not that it's hard to see. It's because it gets dimmed. The light gets dimmed, right? Oh, we have a baby. Can you that? <laughs> Don't have babies till you're in the twenties. It's nothing I tell kids. <laughs> Amen. <It's really> <laughs> If we but, were you know, smart. it's about, again, it's about personal choice, right? It's about personal choice. And, and you, know, you can make the good choice, you can make the bad choice. You can say, well, drugs are the good choice for me. Well, you know, if you look at the history of drugs, it's really not a good choice for anybody, you know? So you, you can't argue that, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. How many, how many famous uh, singers and actors and, and people of, of influence have lost everything, uh, you know, yeah. just due to whatever drug of choice it was. And it's usually from my experience, and I don't want to make a blanket statement on everybody, but usually that, that drug and and alcohol abuse comes from a place of attempting to overcome something bad in their past. Some, some part of their history that, that leaves them feeling empty or or leaves them feeling too much. And they want to feel the emptiness to get rid of it. And that's where the, the drug use comes in oftentimes. And so I struggle watching these, watching these kids who are, who are hung up in that, 
in order to get away from from the struggles that they have in their own mentality. How did, how did you get through that? Because I mean, let's be honest. Like, uh, let's see, you uh, that would have been the early seventies. You started in all this journey, and there probably wasn't a whole lot of of Man, mental health care. Yeah, there wasn't a lot. And there was nothing. And again, the idea of being a foster kid was uh, it was a total stigma. It was terrible, you know. So again, going to the Nelson's house and going into the public school system, everyone would say, "How come? I, how come Glennis doesn't have the same last name as you?" And I say, he, "He said he, he said he was your brother. But he doesn't even have the same last name as you." It was all that kind of that kind of stuff that you had to kind of navigate and go through, you know. But I said earlier, "Get up." Remember that expression, "Get up." That's that's how I got through it. How did I get through it? When I got knocked down, I got, I got up again. You have to you have to get up again because you're gonna get knocked down. And it's a, it's a cliche, but people aren't judged by how many times you get knocked down. It's about how many times you get back up again, and then what you do with that, right? And that's what you have to do is you have to learn how to get up. And and in the face of that guy punching you in the face, you get up again. And you say, do it again. And then the next thing you know, he's going to say, well, this guy, just, I'm not going to do my hand hurts. <laughs> <laughs> and that's life. That's really his life. Life is going to throw shit at you until life realizes, hey, this guy is, is not someone to be, you know, mess with. Let him go. So they're going to, you're going to find it's going to be easier once you stay true to your own values, whatever they are. You know, talking about your own values um, in, in the dad's group that I joined several years back, one of the very first things that we have we have started doing with new guys when they come in is understanding mm-hmm. their core values. That sounds like something that you understand. Have, have you? Is that something you ever sat down and did officially and figured out what your core values were and what you live by, or is that just something that you came to know because of the the background that you have? I made up my own core values. That's what I did. Again, I told you I had no parents telling me what to do, so I had to do it myself. So what do I want to be? Do I want to be a nice guy? Do I want to be a bank robber? And I had that choice. I decided to be a nice guy. I decided to be an empathetic person. And I kept, I always use the word fair in all my writing because I believe I'm a fair person. And a fair person listens to other people first. And then I disagree with you. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's how it works. But you still listen. And so if you, if, you, if you make those decisions for yourself, okay, I'm going to be a fair person. Or, you know, I'm going to help children. You know, then you stick to that. Then you have a mission. And that's what it's all about for everyone, right? Everyone needs a reason to get up in the morning and have a mission. And so you, you, so my core values are things that I made up. I decided, again, I was not going to be my father. You know, I was going to bring up kids to be happy. They were not going to be in an orphanage. I guarantee that, even though there was no such thing as orphanages now. Now, they used to, in the 70s, they put kids in orphanages, big places. Now they put them in group homes, which are group homes of like 10 to 12 kids with two counselors living in a house because they try to kind of, you know, edge them into the community and whatnot. It's a better way than orphans, believe me. It's a lot better system. So, you know, this is a, there is a lot of people out there helping to do good. There really are, and they should be commended. You know, there's a lot of agencies that are working hard to work with aging out kids. Um, so there is resources. And people are doing good things. Yeah, and thank God for that because – one thing that I know for a fact is that we will all be dealing with them. Um, we'll all be dealing with these kids one day or another, whether or not that's in an in a group home setting, in a foster home, through the adopted adoption world, or if none of that works, we're, we're going to deal with them with the criminal justice system later, typically. Right, right, and unfortunately, too, though the whole foster care system is kind of invisible to a lot of people. You know, they know about people that they're, they're shooting heroin. They know about the opioid crisis, right? but they don't know anything about foster care. It's kind of a, that's not my problem kind of thing, unless you are interested in adopting or taking in kids. And that's another whole story. But for the vast majority of people, it's don't see, don't, don't know. You know what I mean? I don't know anything about that. Oh, really? There were 20,000 kids aging out every year. I didn't know that. That sounds terrible. Yeah. I believe the, uh, the last time we saw the numbers here was what, like a half a million kids waiting for homes right now. Yeah. I mean, it, the number is just insane. And the thing is, is people put their head in the sand because it's easier to do that. If your head's in the sand and you say, oh, I don't know about it, then I don't right. have to do anything about it. Right. And where's the, the telethons for foster care? You know, where is the, you know, Comic Con or the Comedian Con, you know, raising money for foster care? You don't see that. Right. It's not a it's not a disaster relief effort, so to speak, even though it certainly is a crisis, you know. You've got I don't that. see money being sent from the government. You know, all these agencies are underfunded. They're over. They're understaffed. You know, it's it's a real issue that 
really no one wants to put money to it. You know, it's not first on people's list. Well, that's the thing. These are our children. You know, this is are our they future. our children? I don't know if they're our children. Are they our children? Yeah, they're, they're, our children. they're somebody else's children, unfortunately. They are going to be making our decisions when it comes to health care and retirement, though, down the road. <laughs> and so we, we should really be paying close attention to how well they're being taken care of. Right. And just as a human being, you should want to hope to help all the human beings get through stuff that's, you know, that, that's terrible. It's pretty terrible. So, yeah, I, I love your mission of trying to help kids who are aging out of this system. Uh, you know, so have you had any real success stories with that? Just uh, I helped many kids. I started, I started out being, uh, being a big brother, you know, the big brother program. And I worked with several kids in the big brother program, just mentoring kids. And I kind of got hooked on the idea of, you know, working with kids and felt I had something to give, so to speak. So I got more deeper into it and went into, you know, foster care and aging out. And I chose aging out, number one, because it happened to me. But number two, because nobody wants a 17-year-old kid when they're looking for a foster kid, right? They're looking for the five-year-old, the three-year-old, the baby, the 18-year-old, 18-month-old baby. So if I'm 16, 17, 18, I'm, I'm, I'm on a blacklist pretty much. So those are the kids I want to help. And now those are the kids, if anyone's out there listening who can help, those are the ones that need the help. See older kids. You know, they, it's not that they want to be bad kids. They've had bad stuff happen to them. So they've learned bad stuff. But they, if given the right circumstances, many kids have turned themselves around. I know a kid in Oregon that I've been talking to for three years. He, he, was, he uh, uh, dropped out of high school. I helped him get his GED. Didn't have a job. I helped him get a job. You know, now he's got married, has a kid of his own. He's in his 20s. Has a kid of his own. And is vowing to do right by his child. And that's a success right there. Boom. Done. Now it's up to him. Whatever he wants to be. He happens to be a welder. Because I, he was very frustrated about education, and he was always not doing well in school. And I said, you know what? You don't have to be an academic bookworm. Do you like working with your hands? Yeah, let's even get you in, a, in some kind of a skilled position. And it turns out, you know, he loved welding, of all things. He became a welder. Because I talked about in the book, my foster father, who was a very kind of mean guy, would make us do things around the house. One thing he, he would, would never teach you, though, he handed me a, weld tor- a, a welding torch one day. So I need you to weld these things over here. So I don't know how to weld these things. And he goes, figure it out. And after about 12 times of doing it wrong, I did it right on the 13th time. You know? So, but the point was, as a kid, we, we found out what he was good at. And it turns out he's really good at it. And his ambition now is not only to be a welder, but he wants to have a welding company. You know? And have people working for him. So we're working on that now. You know? And so again, everything is in stages, but there is a path for everybody. No one can ever tell me um, I can't do anything. There's nothing for me to do. You know, you can't, you know, it can't be done. So often I hear people say, Hey, you know, we're, I, I can't be a foster parent. That's not, I could never do that for whatever reason. And, right. and, and, and they're I, legitimate by the way. And I agree. Yeah. A hundred percent. If that's not what you're wired for, I don't know right. that, that that's where you should be, but it sounds like what you're talking about is, um, if you're a passionate welder, my God, we need people to put airplanes together. Um, yeah. boats, right. Uh, who, yeah. that that all needs to be done we have plenty of work and especially in today's economy i mean we're in a weird place where we're having a heck of a time we can't find people to drive trucks to pull containers across the country and deliver goods there there is somebody who who you could reach out and mentor in that yes. age bracket especially that 16 17 18 19 year old kid who needs yes. some mentorship and that's a great place to help people right Right. And, that, and again, that's the kind of we, we are looking, we mean the whole community is looking for people for it to help. Again, if you're, if you're considering, well, force care sounds like a good idea, but I couldn't take a kid into my life. Give money, you know, donate something to the force care system. You know, there's all kinds of things you can do with it because it is a big commitment, obviously, that you don't want to go into lightly. As I mentioned before, if you have your own children, it's even equally as hard. People say, oh, I want to grow my family. It's going to be great. It's more challenging. Don't let anyone tell you it's not when you have your own children. It's very challenging. Amen so, to that. Yeah. So, you know, that's something to think of. But, you know, we, we need help. That's all I'll say. We need help. As aging out kids, we need help. Amen. Yeah. Um, who was it? Uh, we interviewed Danny Van a while back. And Danny talks a lot about kids aging out of the system because he was also a kid who aged out of the system without that without that support system around him. And mm-hmm. so many people I've seen come out of that system and not do well as they came out, not right. have the support that they needed. And and then you meet the handful of them who have, 
who have what they need to have a little bit of a support system around them and the grit and the resiliency to go out and, and create a life around them that's just amazing. And you go, how did he get that successful? What did she have that, that she didn't have that made her the one who made it to the top? Right. And I think that resiliency is a big part of it. And uh, it's resiliency, again, it comes from, it's, it's, what, what, are you, what are you doing? That's what I told, I talked to all of my kids about. What are you doing? To, you know, uh, this week sucked, man. You know, I, I can't find a job, whatever. What are you doing to get a job? Well, I sent about 10 resumes. So that's not going to get you a job. You, you, you got to do way more than that. You know, life is about effort. It's really about effort. And if you're a force to get it, you have to do twice the effort. But it's twice, re, it's twice as rewarding on the other end. Because people always come up to me, it's true, and say, how can we so well-adjusted, you know? How can we be such a normal kid, whatever? And I always want to tell them, you know, you don't know what's inside me. You know, you don't know. I did what I did because I had to do what I wanted to do. I wanted to have my own family, for instance. So I did everything I could to get a good job so I could raise a family. And I didn't get kids first because then I'd be stuck in, in poverty or whatever. So you have to do things the right way, of course. But that's how you do them. You, you find a way and the will to do it. And you can do it. Girls and guys, by the way. You know, for a girl, they say it's more like it's harder for girls. It's not harder for girls. Girls just have to be, you know, perhaps more um, adamant about who they want to be and who they don't want to be. If they don't want to be a mother, do not be a mother. You know, don't get accidentally pregnant. You know, that's just probably your fault for getting pregnant. You know, it's the guy's fault and the girl's fault. So you have to make that decision. I'm not getting pregnant. You know, and then you won't get pregnant. You don't have to get pregnant. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wish somebody would have told me at a young age that um, you should have kids after you get a career figured out because we did it the opposite way because I'm a dummy. And uh, <laughs> we spent <laughs> some years struggling. You just didn't know better. There's a difference. Well, I knew better. I knew better. I just, I okay, just okay. was being a dummy. <laughs> Let's be real <laughs> honest here. I don't like words. I don't like negative words. That's all. Uh, yeah, but sometimes honest words don't sound real pretty. And, and on this story, that that's the case. Is that really? I, I just I wasn't chasing a career. I didn't know what I wanted to be, and okay. so I became a father kind of de facto. And then then the career came afterwards, and and that caused quite a few years of struggle because we've always had kids. We've always had. I mean, when we first got together, we were making twenty thousand dollars a year, and we were raising three kids within just a couple of years of having been together because. You know, my wife, um, Amanda, she just ran off with the baby who's making noise. But, um, you know, she had a little boy when I met her from a previous marriage. And his his father had just kind of up and bounced. And uh, her little sister lived with us as well. And, and we raised her because her mom had a lot of addiction struggles. And then from then we had one together. And in no time at all, we had three kids. I'm making $20,000 a year trying to support a family of five. And suddenly going, holy crap, this sucks. And it was. It was hard. We had some rip. Yeah. I ate a lot of macaroni and cheese because for 29 cents, you could buy a box. And for a couple of dollars, you'd have macaroni and cheese and hot dogs. And that was a meal. Not a healthy one, but it was no, food. Right. And it kept you alive, and that was it. And nobody, you know, nobody was really there to support us through that because you know her family wasn't in that position, my family wasn't in that position, and we had to go out and struggle. And fortunately, now we're doing really well. But it's taken a lot of years to to turn that around. And and so, if you're a kid who comes out of foster care who doesn't have that support system around them, you definitely have to be ready to to fight the the numbers to know the right. statistics. You have to go. You have to go looking for a for, for a support system. Right, you have to create one. You asked me about my core values. I created them. That, that that wasn't flippant. That was true. I created my own core values. That's what you have to do. You have to create your story. You know, write your own story. You know, you, you've had bad things happen to you. That doesn't mean that's your whole life. Now, what are you gonna do about it? You, know, you just got knocked down on the canvas. Now, what are you gonna do about it? You know, you just you know someone you really love passed away. Now, what are you gonna do about it? These are all terrible things that really do happen to people. You know, so don't, you know, I'm not going to be naive and say, you know, everything's wonderful, but it's how you react to things. And again, let's get a tough skin, guys. Really, let's show them who we are. That's what we have to do. You know, prove to ourselves, number one, and prove to the world, number two, that we are somebody to be heard and to be learned, to be reckoned with and to be respected, really, to be respected. You know, we really, as foster kids, we want respect because we didn't get it. You know, if our parents got rid of us for whatever reason, you know, and we are treated like, you know, aliens. Why? That's not fair. But so that's what we have to work harder. And one day you're not treated like aliens anymore. And that's going to feel really good. Well, let me ask you this question. If you had a national platform 
to be able to talk to say, you know, you have five minutes to, to talk to all the foster kids in the world to give them the uh, the best piece of advice you could give them for their life coming up right ahead of them because it's I know when you're 13, 18 seems a long ways away, but it's it's not. It's just in a blink of an eye. What what would be that that five minute message you would give to to those kids coming up on looking at aging out of the system? First thing I do is we're in a we're in a room together, right? I say, okay, I want you to turn to your left. I want you to turn to your right. You know, what you see, you see another foster kid. What does that mean? That you're not the only foster kid. You're not, you're not the only one that something bad has happened to. There are many things that have happened to other people, and they overcome them. There are many things that have happened to people, bad things, and they've learned how to deal with them. People need to number one realize that they're not alone. Right? There is help out there. And there are people like you're not the only one that this happened to. You know, you had a bum father who was a piano player. Well, there are other people that bum father with piano players also. So don't sit there and say, I'm going to do drugs because my father was a piano player who didn't talk to me and drank booze all day long. You know, we have to learn how to collectively work together. Even if, again, and I take it as my own example, I grew up in a household of eight kids I never met before in my life. Actually, five kids I never met before in my life. And now they're my blood brothers and sisters. Not my blood, but I treated them like blood brothers and sisters. How did that happen? That happened because I wanted that to happen. Because I wanted to make myself better, and they made me better. So when you're in the, we're in this room together, these people in this room can make you better. Make some friends with these people. Make some friends with other people in your in your world. You know that's how you can make a difference in your own life. Make yourself better. So write your own story. Number one, and number two, write make it a good story. Feels a lot of cool stuff happening. You know, you don't have to sit in your room. You can get out there and do things. You know, you're 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 damaged, but you're not broken. I always say that to kids also, by the way. The word broken is a word I never use. Believe me, some people can always be fixed. And so they're not broken to me, they're, they're damaged, ready to be fixed. Um, so that's why I think um, if I'm elected president, we're gonna pay attention to all, all the foster kids that are aging out in the system. We're gonna help them get jobs. We're going to help them, you know, find good influences in their life. And we're going to help them help other kids, other foster kids. I encourage foster kids to look look over their shoulder. Look at the kids behind them. You, what if you were a trailblazer? What if you're a leader? How cool would that be? You know, you know what happened to you. Why don't you try to tell someone else, don't do this because this could happen. You know, people, kids need that. They don't know what, some kids have no clue of life outside. You know, they never really paid attention. But then guess what? They'll pay attention to another 15-year-old. You know, so I think, and that's what I'm trying to do when I, with these online discussion groups I have. I'm trying to bring kids together. They don't want to hear me talk, really. They want to talk to each other, right? Because only they know what they I can tell them what happened to me. They'll say, that didn't happen to me. This happened to me. Then the kid over here will say, hey, that happened to me, too. See, then you put those two kids together. And that's a spark. And it ignites something bigger. Yeah, it's amazing how many young kids don't believe that they they've got the capability to go out and be amazing humans. But you know, if you just right. do a quick Google search, you'll find out things like um, you know, kids who've been through foster care or adoption. Uh, Willie Nelson, a little little bit of success in his world. Um, was it Daryl McDaniel from Run DMC? Sarah McLaughlin, um, Mon- Marilyn Monroe. All you know, all these people that we know their names and we know their experience. And if anybody knows any of those people personally, I'd love a chance to talk to them. Um, just to, <laughs> I'd love that opportunity. But but th- there are people who have come out of some hard places and made amazing stories. And but they also had they also had hard lives. Yeah. Those, all those people you mentioned were not you know well adjusted people. They were had issues in their own lives. You know. But I, I would I also would tell kids not to aspire to be Marilyn Monroe or anything celebrity, but be just be someone good in your community. You know, be the best mailman you could be. Be the best plumber you can be. You know, whatever it is you choose, try to be the best at that. You don't have to be a celebrity to be successful, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I just want a chance to sit and talk with Willie Nelson. I think he'd be a really interesting <laughs> guy to talk to. <laughs> He's one of those guys who I've, I, all my life I've known who he was and thought, man, he, he just seems like a really neat dude. Yeah, but he's been in a lot of really dark places himself. Been in jail several times, you know. So, you know, it's, it's not okay. Believe it. it. People go through things. That's why I, the, I guess the one message we asked from my platform was it's, you are not alone. You are not alone. Michael <laughs> Jackson, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. 
I don't know how many people really ha- can internalize that. And I'm not just talking about foster kids, but that's across the across the spectrum. You know, I, I sat in a meeting this morning with, with a bunch of dads and they were mm-hmm. talking about some of their struggles they had in, as kids. And funny thing was, there was about two or three stories between these probably 15, 20 different guys. But there was only two or three different stories. I mean, the names changed, the situation changed, right. but it was all the same struggles. And we we all sit in those same struggles. See, and I feel like if you can get someone to, to, to realize that, that's that's kind of a third of their battle right there. Because when when you get when you're a foster kid, you feel isolated, right? You're in a home, then you go to another home, maybe we stay in one home, whatever. You're isolated, and you don't know what other kids, foster kids like you, are going through, but they are going through the same things. So you're not this person that the only one that's ever happened to, and you know, no, it's not because when that happens, when you feel like that, you feel terrible. Right, I'm a freak. No one's ever, you know. It's, it's almost like when you break up with your first girlfriend, right? You feel like this is the worst thing that ever happened. This has never <laughs> happened to anyone ever before. But meanwhile, it's happened to everyone. So in foster care, it's the same thing. It's like it's terrible. I'm not, I'm not making light of it, believe me. But we we've all been through it, and we can all get through it together. That's why one thing I learned through the Big Brother program is that don't try to teach it. You know, don't try to pontificate and sit on your soapbox and say. You will be this kind of kid, and, and if you go to go to college, and, and, and there's no one roadmap for anyone. If you learn anything in the world of 2021, it's that there's a lot of different choices out there, and there are a lot of good choices, really good choices. Oh yeah, yeah. This this whole pandemic has taught us all that there's a lot of opportunity to just pivot and find the next best thing and keep moving forward, and that beats sitting still and doing nothing every time. Right, and the second thing is the internet has allowed you to find groups of like-minded individuals, right? Is there, you could find other foster care kids. There's chat groups for, for aging up, but aging up, but you know, online. So there are things out there. There are resources out there. So get resources. Number one. Oh no, sorry. Let's, let's go back. Let's, let's, let's uh, go back to what I said. Number one is look in the mirror. Who are you and who do you want to be? That's very important. And number two, then how do I get there? What are the steps I need to get there? I need this, 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 and this. You make a list. Okay, then I, how do I get the things on that list? And then, then, then I believe that it becomes to, okay, now that I've kind of figured this out, what's my core values? Then that's when core values comes in. Because you can't start with core values. It's too heavy a thing, I think, to start with. If I'm all, don't know what I want to do, and I'm you know, just coming out of the false care system, and I'm angry at the world, don't ask me, you know, <laughs> am I a religious person or, you know, whatever, you know, I... I, core values are not what I need right now. You know, I, I need I need some kind of help. You know, physical, tangible help is what I need. You know, absolutely, absolutely. But don't be don't get down on yourselves. I would say you know, keep stay positive. You know, even though it's hard, it's not easy. Just because your father's a bum doesn't mean you have to be a bum. You know, if your mother's a bum, you don't have to be a bum. You know, you don't have to. If your mother got pregnant when she was sixteen, you don't have to get pregnant at sixteen. You know, all these things that, you know, we feel like we look up to our parents, but sometimes it's, you don't, your parents didn't do the right thing, you know, and then that's, I wouldn't say that's okay, but it happened. So don't beat yourself up because that happened. It just happened. You know? Yeah. It took me a long time to realize that of all the mistakes my parents made, they did the best they could with what they had at the moment. And, and, um, I'm that's all anybody can do. And that's what I'm telling foster kids to do. Do the best with what you can do. You know, you, you, you may want to just play shortstop for the New York Mets, but that ain't happening. So what are you going to do otherwise? You know, don't get defeated because the first thing you want to do is it's not available. You know, there are different ways to go. And different people to meet and exciting things to do. And the world is a huge, wonderful, big place. Despite all the politics and crap going on, I, I try to teach positivity. That's another thing is you go into the world positive and positive things come back. You know, karma is a big thing. Right? If you're a bad person, why is it that bank robbers always have a hard life? Because they're doing bad things. That's why. <laughs> Are you telling me that you think politics has a lot of bad problems in it if we focus on that? <laughs> I will not go near that, but yes, I am. <laughs> don't worry. I don't chase that either. <laughs> I stay 100% away from politics. I was, I was really hopeful in this last election cycle, though, that, you know, 
all all thoughts and, and political aspirations aside, I know that part of Camilla Harris's background was she started in social work, and I was really hoping to see a little bit more push out of that, you know, towards fixing that system than what I have seen so far. So hopefully, there's more down the because road. it's not on people's radar. It's it's probably number twenty seven on the list of twenty six things. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yeah. You know, so we have a lot of work to do, you know, you and I that are trying to help the community, but I'm all I'm into it. You know, I mean, again, I'm 62, so I'm at the, I'm in the back nine of my golf, my golf life. But I really feel like I have something to give. I mean, my the, the start is the book, of course. Um, but it's, it's, it's so much bigger than that. This is just a story that I told. This was my story. And I encourage everyone, by the way, to write down your story. That's one way I, that, that's how I, worked out my problems by writing them down. So it's a great way. No one ever has to see it, but you can write it down and talk to yourself. It's a great way to do things. You know, it's a great way to relieve stress. I love that. I love that. Well, Angela, I appreciate you coming in here and talking about your book and telling your story and reaching for a way to, to help connect with foster youth that are looking at aging out of the system and trying to help them and, and setting up the, uh, the, the talks you have with a lot of kids and working with kids through the Big Brothers program and just being you and helping out the world to become a better place, man. I appreciate you telling us that story today and encouraging a lot of these people who really need encouragement. Yeah, you're very welcome. And just my final thought is you may think I'm a wonderful, incredibly attractive person, but I have no hair. My hearing's not so good. And I still think life is wonderful. <laughs> Well, I have some hair left. That's all I got you beat on. <laughs> I'm jealous. All of my hair is starting to get lost. It's running on the bottom of my head instead of the top. <laughs> but again, I thank you for having me on. This has been wonderful. I think you guys do great work. And hopefully you're going to keep doing it. Um, you know, and uh, we need more people like you is all I'll say. Well, thank you so much, man. Okay, Foster Care Nation. Thank you for listening to Angelo's story. Now take his knowledge and wisdom to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and community. Be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If you'd like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at jason at fostercarenation.com. You can connect with other like-minded people on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash fostercareuj. And don't forget, we have an account over at Buy Me A Coffee. It's like a virtual tip jar where you can help us fund our mission for as little or as much as you want. It's at buymeacoffee.com slash fostercare. The links to everything are in the show notes on your podcast player or at fostercarenation.com. And as always, you are so super awesome. I thank you guys. So cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Unparalleled Studios. Studios.